you, Lisa, and let me add my welcome to Lucas. As has been said, my name is Alistair. I have the privilege of being the assistant here at the church. And this morning, it is my privilege to open up Acts 4 for us. So please do keep that passage open in front of you as we look through it this morning. Now, many of you will know that my wife, Sabina, and I in 2019 took a six-week trip to the Middle East to help serve a local church reach Muslim refugees with the gospel. And it was an eye-opening time for us to see what ministry looked like in that setting, where it is illegal to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. We met many faithful men and women who were serving the Lord at great risk to themselves and to their families. We'd heard stories of missionaries who'd been found out by the government that they were sharing the gospel, and so they were sent home from one day to the next. And one night, a group of us sat with a missionary couple as they talked about their stories and their experiences of their time there. And someone in this group asked the couple if it was a hard decision for them to move to the Middle East, to intentionally move and live under the persecution for the gospel. And his response really challenged all of us that night. This man, who was the same age as me, was newly married, had a son who was one year old, said that it wasn't a hard decision at all to move to the Middle East. Because every single Christian counts the cost to follow Jesus when they become a Christian. And one of those costs is persecution and potentially death for our faith. The decision, he said, had already been made years ago when he decided to follow Jesus. And what we learned in our time there, and what we see through the book of Acts, is that the gospel grows as it is opposed. Throughout history, nations and rulers have sought to silence the voices of those calling people to believe in Jesus. But with every single attempt to quench the gospel, to suppress the good news of Jesus, the exact opposite has happened and it has grown. Take Iran, for example, which according to Open Doors is eighth on the list of countries that are extreme, where Christians are extremely persecuted. In Iran, it is estimated that there are one million Christians who meet every week in small underground illegal house house churches, constantly under the threat of imprisonment, violence, and death. But despite that persecution, it's estimated that the church in Iran grows about 20% every single year. The gospel grows as it is opposed. That's what we see happening in the book of Acts. This morning, we're going to see how the early church faced persecution and how they responded to it. We're going to see how the gospel grows as it is opposed, as we consider three things from Acts chapter 4. Persecution, proclamation, and prayer. So the first thing we see in this passage is the persecution of God's people in verses 1 to 7. The persecution of God's people. Now think back with me to the story in Acts chapter 3. Peter and John there, they're going up to the temple to pray and they come across this beggar who's sitting at the gate, lame, unable to walk, and he, that he's been that way for his entire life of 40 years. 
And he asks Peter and John for some money to get him by through the day, but boy, does he get more than he bargained for. Because by the power of the Holy Spirit within them, they heal him in the name of Jesus Christ. And this man immediately jumps to his feet and starts walking and leaping and praising God. Without a doubt, a mahusive grin on his face. And people in the temple are completely amazed. And so Peter stands up in front of this crowd and he gives them a belter of a sermon of who Jesus is and that it was through the power of the resurrected Jesus that this man can now walk. You can almost feel the excitement and the buzz as this guy is walking around praising God, never been able to walk in his life before. And the crowd hanging on every single word that comes through Peter's mouth. You can feel the buzz. The tension and the excitement in the air is unbelievable. But then we turn to Acts chapter 4 and it's all over. Instead of cheers of happiness and excitement, you can hear heckles in verse 1. As the priests, the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees storm through the crowd in anger because they are greatly disturbed. They don't like the message being proclaimed, which Luke summarizes in verse 2, that Peter was proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. And so Peter and John are seized in verse 3, thrown into jail for the night, waiting to go on trial in the morning before the Sanhedrin, a kind of religious supreme court of the Jewish elite. Now imagine how they're feeling in that moment. They could have thought this is it. We're done for. It's all over. Sitting in prison because they'd healed a man and told people about Jesus. What a contrast to that excitement and awe that they experienced just moments earlier. But all is not lost. Even in this persecution, because look at the amazing news in verse 4. Many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. The gospel grows as it is opposed. So whilst these religious leaders were fighting through the crowd to get to Peter and John, and lock them in a cell for the night. Maybe they overlooked the fact of what was actually happening before their eyes. Whilst they're trying to stop the spread of the good news of Jesus Christ, it's having the opposite effect. As the Holy Spirit is at work in people's lives, many who heard believed. If you remember back to the beginning of Acts, in chapter 1, verse 15, The local church began with just 120 men and women. And then at Pentecost, a further 3,000 men are added to the church in chapter 2, verse 41. And now we see that the number of men in this group of Christians has grown to 5,000. Now that is exponential growth. And that's only the men being counted. So taking into account that women and children there as well, the number would be much higher. Friends, regardless of what the the world throws at the church, regardless of how the devil tries to silence the voices of those calling people to repent and believe in Jesus, the gospel grows 
as it is opposed. Now, we might not be thrown in jail for sharing Jesus with people. But the persecution of the Lord's people comes in all different ways. It can be uncomfortable and scary to stand up and proclaim Jesus to a world that rejects him and refuses to acknowledge him. It's difficult to be shunned in the workplace because people know you're a Christian, so they don't invite you to things because of your views. It's hard to think of friends and family members rejecting you because of your faith in Christ. The Bible is crystal clear. Christians will be opposed and persecuted. But we are also told that the gospel grows as it is opposed. So how did Peter and John respond to this persecution? Well, that's the second thing we see in this passage. The proclamation of God's word in verses 8 to 22. The proclamation of God's word. Now imagine the scene. You have two fishermen from Galilee standing before the most religious and important group of people in all of Israel. These fishermen have little to no education at all. And they're going to be cross-examined by people who have spent their whole lives dedicated to understanding the Old Testament and understanding the things of God. But all of their learning has amounted to absolutely nothing because they ask in verse 7, by what power or what name did you do this? They can't even discern a work of God that happens before their very eyes. They refuse to believe the truth. And I'll contrast that with Peter, who filled with the Holy Spirit, verse 8, speaks boldly and clearly about who Jesus is. And he even has a better grasp of the Old Testament than these learned men do. Peter answers their question in verse 10. Read with me. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Now, do you see that boldness that the Spirit gives Peter to speak with such authority to men much more educated, much more trained than he is? He even beats them at their own game in verse 11 by quoting from the Old Testament in Psalm 118 verse 22. Peter tells these men that thought they were wise, that they've actually no idea what they've just done. They have fulfilled what the Old Testament said would happen hundreds of years before it took place, that Jesus would be rejected, but that God made him the cornerstone of the church. That's what verse 11 means. Now, we don't make buildings like this anymore, so we maybe don't understand exactly what Peter is saying, but these guys would have known exactly what he was illustrating. Back then, the cornerstone bore the entire weight of a building. It was the standard, it was the spirit level, if you will, of how straight and safe the building was going to be. If the cornerstone was off, if you had the wrong cornerstone, the building would crumble. Now, the religious leaders thought Jesus was just a random teacher who went against the status quo but he is the foundation of the church. 
And if you imagine this entire court scene as a boxing match, the Sanhedrin are definitely on the ropes, fighting for air, looking for a free seconds to come out. But Peter is just about to deliver the final blow. Verse 12, Peter says this, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Now remember who Peter is speaking to. A group of the religious elite who thought that their religiosity was enough for them to be right with God. A group of people who assumed because they were born into the people of Israel that they were automatically in God's good books. But Peter gives them a wake-up call. And it's one that we need to hear too. We cannot earn our way into heaven. No amount of religious living will save you. You can have absolutely perfect Sunday morning attendance and still not know Jesus. You can have all the right answers to the difficult questions, but if you do not believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and God raised him from the dead, you are not saved. Salvation is found in no other name than Jesus Christ. Now, maybe you're here and you're not a Christian. Listen to that message. There is nothing and no one else in this world that can save you but Jesus. There are not multiple ways to God. Jesus isn't a good option among many. Jesus is the only way to the Father. Will you come to Jesus and be saved? It is an exclusive message, but it is an invitation. Will you listen? And so Peter has just stood up and he has taken this group of religious elite to school. They see Peter's boldness and his courage. They recognize that he is just an ordinary unschooled man, as verse 13 says, but something is different. Once someone's been through a life-altering moment, everything about them can change. Their perspective on life, the way they interact with others, the way they perceive everything going on around them. And you can't quite put your finger on it, but something just seems different. That's exactly what the Sanhedrin see in Peter and John. But they know exactly what the cause for it is. Verse 13 when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were ordinary, unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Now that verse should be a huge encouragement for every single Christian because we are ordinary. We fail all the time. We make mistakes every single day. We don't have all the knowledge in the world. We don't always have the right words to say. We don't have the ability to convince people to become Christians. We are sinful, broken human beings. But, but, like Peter, we are filled with the Holy Spirit. And the wonderful news is that God can take ordinary people like you and like me and do extraordinary things for his kingdom. And he does it every single day, 
all over the world. Do you know what my prayer has been this entire week as I've prepared this sermon? Do you know what I want people, I would like people to be able to say about my life after I'm dead and gone? I want people to be able to say that they knew I'd been with Jesus. That's my prayer. And this should characterize every aspect of every Christian's life. People should know that we are Christians based on how we speak, how we act, and how we face persecution for the gospel. People should know that we have spent time with Jesus. What did that look like for Peter and John? What does that have to do with the fact that the gospel grows as it's opposed? Well, the Sanhedrin refused to acknowledge the truth that the lame man was healed. A wonderful miracle done in the name of Jesus. They wanted to reject all of the evidence, but they couldn't. They had all the evidence right in front of them. They wanted to refuse it. And that's what they do in verses 14 to 16. And in verses 17 to 21, they threaten the disciples never to speak about Jesus again. But remember, the gospel grows as it is opposed. The tighter their fist gets in anger and frustration that these men are sharing Jesus, the more they attempt to stop the gospel spreading, the harder the disciples fight, the harder they go out and tell Jesus to the world, nothing, nothing will stop them sharing the gospel. As they say in verse 20, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. Now we get this, don't we? We do the same if we like something. We get enthusiastic with people and we want to share it with them. For example, two months ago, Sabina and I got a new cooking gadget and it has changed our lives completely and it has changed the food that we eat. And if you've spoken to me in the last two months, you've probably already heard quite a bit about it. So I apologize for bringing it up again. But that's normal, isn't it? For you, it might be the new Netflix series or TV program. It might be the hobby or the sports you play. It may be a new skill you picked up during lockdown. When we find something we love, something that changes our life, we cannot help but tell everyone about it. So why don't we do the same with Jesus? We're all evangelists of something. Let's make it the thing that really matters. The good news about Jesus. So these men had been with Jesus. Their lives were never the same again. And that meant that in the face of persecution and threats, their response was to continue to proclaim the word of God. And friends, that should be us. That should be our response too. We will want to back down when opposition comes because it's easier to shy away. But we are called to suffer for Christ. When we follow Jesus, we are signing up for a life of suffering, but it is a life of suffering with Jesus. It is a life of sharing the greatest news in the world that the world can ever hear. That God sent his son to die in our place to make forgiveness possible and give us new life, the life that we were created to live. 
We cannot keep that news to ourselves. But even in the face of persecution, regardless of how severe it is, we must proclaim the word of God. The gospel grows as it is opposed. And the last thing that we see in this passage is the prayer for godly boldness. In verses 23 to 31, the prayer for godly boldness. So Peter and John are released from jail. They've been through a tough ordeal as they were cross-examined by the religious elite of their day. And now they might be tempted to head home, to put their feet up, to rest. I know that's what I would be tempted to do. But Peter and John's first response is that they want to go and gather with the Lord's people. They want to see their church family. So they immediately go to their church community and tell them everything that's been going on. But from the reading of verses 23 to 24, it doesn't, you don't get the sense that they're grumbling. You don't get the sense that they're angry or complaining. But their response is the right one. And man, I wish I was, as I was writing this, I was convicted by their prayer. Because that's what they do. They gather with the Lord's people and they pray as they're persecuted. In verse 24, they say, Sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of earth of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Often I find our response to persecution is to ask God to take it away. We don't want to be mocked for being Christians. We don't want to be shunned by our family and our friends. We don't want the emotional or maybe even the physical scars of persecution. So we ask God to just take it away. It's hard. But we would do far better to respond as they do. Recognizing that God is in control and that he can use even the most painful things in our lives for his purposes. The gospel grows as it is opposed. And on top of that, verses 25 to 28 show that the early church saw this opposition, this persecution as a direct fulfillment of Psalm 2. The nations, the Gentiles, the nation of Israel, rulers and leaders all gathered together in opposition against God, against his anointed one. As at the cross, they crucified the Messiah, sent to save them. And they are continuing even now to rage against God by persecuting the church. Friends, we are promised suffering if we follow Christ. But the Bible encourages us with two truths when that, two truths when that happens. First of all, God is in control. Regardless of what your situation may feel like, God is in control. And secondly, when we suffer for the gospel, we are partaking in the suffering of Jesus Christ. And somehow, somehow, God will use it for his glory. The gospel grows as it is opposed. Now, what we do when we are persecuted is important. We should learn from the early church and put prayer as our priority. It's so easy to forget about prayer until we've tried everything else in our ability. 
But our first port of call should always be to run to God in prayer. And what we pray is also important. They pray, look with me in verse 29. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. They pray for boldness. They pray that even in the face of threats, that by the power of the Holy Spirit, they would be bold to proclaim Christ to the world and share Jesus. Friends, that should be our prayer every single day. Every single day. This is exactly how ordinary people like you and me do extraordinary things for the gospel. By relying on the Holy Spirit, not by our own intellect, not by any skills, And not by human enthusiasm, but by a work of the Holy Spirit in our lives who empowers and enables us to go out to a lost world and tell them how to be saved. Why not start every morning this week with that simple prayer? Lord, enable your servant today to speak your word with boldness. Pray that and act on it. And act in anticipation that the Lord will equip you and enable you with boldness to proclaim Jesus to a dying world. And in verse 31, we see that by God's grace, their prayer is answered immediately. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Friends, when we come to God and we pray for boldness by his Spirit to proclaim the gospel despite persecution, the Lord is not reluctant at all to grant us that prayer. Because such boldness goes in perfect accordance with his will that his people would share the gospel. So let's pray for boldness because the Lord will give it by his Spirit and let's act on it. I think back to my missionary friend in the Middle East and how spot on he was that when we become Christians, we have already decided to willingly suffer for the sake of Christ. We will be persecuted, but we must continue to proclaim God's word and to pray for godly boldness by the Holy Spirit who enables us to act in the face of opposition. Friends, the wonderful truth that should spur us on as we are persecuted is that the gospel grows as it is opposed. We just have to be ready to act and do the mission God has given us to do. Let's pray together. Father, any time we face persecution and opposition to the gospel, our temptation is to shy away to hide. But Father, we ask now that by your Holy Spirit, you would give each and every one of us boldness. Give us the desire to take the gospel out to the world, to reach our family members, our friends, our work colleagues, everyone around us with the gospel because they are lost and on a path that is leading to an eternity of God's judgment. And yet we have the message We have the good news of Jesus, that God has made forgiveness possible, that salvation 
has been made possible through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would give us boldness. And we ask that you would help us act on it to share the gospel with the world. We ask this in Jesus' name and for the upbuilding of the kingdom of God. Amen.